Hey, this is Zac Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. You built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the Stupid Cancer Show. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> show the voice of young adults. My name is Matthew Zachary and I'm a 17-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And my name is Annie Goodman, journalist and young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. On tonight's show, we have celebrity guest host Andrew Jenks of MTV's World of Jenks. He joins us as we tackle the realities of young adult cancer, how it sucks, and what you can do to make a difference. We're thrilled to welcome guest Tom Berlain, founder of Well Beyond Ordinary, Nico Juber, founder of Thrive Survive, plus the insanely inspirational Chrissy Norwood and Survivor Sephora Razor and Survivor Spotlight. Alrighty, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, a nonprofit organization that empowers young adults affected by cancer online at stupidcancer.org. And a uh, Stupid Cancer welcome to any and all of our first time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network, coming to you live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in New York City. Alrighty. What up, MZ? Ah. Uh, See, the thing is, if this show actually works, no one will know that we messed up the first one or that there was a technical glitch. <laughs> so let's see if that actually happens. We had a mulligan. We, we, this is our mulligan show. Apparently, if you're just joining us, we were uh, having um, some technical difficulties for the first time in 256 broadcasts. I'm really hoping that uh, uh, that this show works. We're waiting to hear from our... Uh, yep, we're all good. Okay, yay! We, we, we're going to give ourselves this round of applause. <laughs> I'd like an Oscar round of applause. <laughs> all right. Well, take two. We're all here. I think we lost some guests, but we'll tweet and Andrew can it's tweet cool. and we'll get them back on the show. Um, yeah. Again, first time. Not too bad for 256 broadcasts. Anyway, hello That's to really Sarah cool. Cottonall, former intern on the couch, Maddie Beckett, intern on the couch, and I'm staring at a very handsome man in a trucker hat, Mr. Dr. Reverend Andrew Jenks. Hello, sir. <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you? How are you doing? 
only as good as as you are, and um, you seem to be in good health after you showed me your six pack a few, <laughs> a few minutes ago. Which and is, I, I believe the joke I said before is that you need ground penetrating radar to see my six pack. So, good. Well, you don't. It's right there in front of us. We see it. <laughs> yes, I'm, so my my painted sculpted abs like the movie Three Hundred. That's exactly what it is. There you go. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So I'm thrilled to have you here as our, our guest. Thank you, sir. Uh, um, it's been a, a long time coming. We've had a good yeah, relationship man. for quite a while now, and we've been thrilled to be involved in your world, Appreciate the world that. of Jenks. Yeah, right. And uh, why don't you just start from scratch? Uh, well, you know, one of the, we're, our show, I should start with this, our show uh, premieres March 4th, MTV, 11 o'clock, one week from tonight, and it's a... It's an interesting show. For one year, I was able to live with three different people from very different walks of life. And one of them was, uh, and that's how we were introduced, one of them was this young woman named Kaylin. And Kaylin is just, I mean, just a badass, incredible, uh, articulate. She's a spirit. A spirit. Funny, too. Real funny. Irreverent. And so for an entire year off and on, I lived with her. And she had been living in San Francisco and decided, you know what, I, I, had, I had thyroid cancer, had Ewing sarcoma. Um, with Ewing's, there's always a likelihood that it comes back. I'm going to you know, go and pursue my dreams of fashion and move to New York City, the epicenter of, of the fashion world. And, you know, she's bold, and, and she did it. She gave up her, you know, friends and family and um, health care and... and Moved to New York City, and so I follow her, the, the ups and the downs. She's able to pull off her own fashion show. She actually has come out with a comic book about what it's like to go through chemo. And um, then obviously a lot of the downs, too, going to the emergency room late at night, thinking the cancer may have returned. So um, an unbelievable ride and someone that I consider a, a dear friend and grateful that I was able to you know, follow her for, for a year. So the, I guess the question you might get often is how do you tolerate, in, in the best sense of the word, Living with these people with these extraordinary conditions, does it wear on you? I mean, just maybe tell people what the show actually is, because it's very intense. You're like a method actor. So. <laughs> but you're playing yourself. Right. Well, so you think. Um, <laughs> I lived with three different people over the course of the year, and I go, uh, at any point, I'll be with one of the three. And so I lived with Kaylin, and then I lived in Oakland with a young man named D. Real who had suffered, um, we found him on YouTube. He had this incredible video that had 4 million hits, and no one knew uh, why, you know, no one knew the backstory behind the video. It was, it's called Dancing in the Rain. You can look it up. It turned out that it was inspired by his best friend who had been shot and killed uh, the day before. And Oakland is a bit of a mess right now in terms of violence. And he, D. Real, was throwing uh, dance battles over the course of the year to promote peace he also had a newborn son, and so it was unbelievable to follow this 21-year-old who's going through so much and trying to change so much. And then just a funny guy, man. Like, we don't want to make the show too earnest or too, like, you know, uh, like it's, like, important programming or re- we're on PBS or something. We, we, <laughs> want to, we want to keep it entertaining. And yeah. then the third guy is Chad, who is, lit, I mean, by far and away the funniest man I know. And 21 years old, happens to have autism. And we follow him for a year as he's graduating school, going to prom, has his first kiss on the forehead, and uh, looks for a job, which is a big deal uh, at 21 for someone like that because you want to make sure they get placed in a, in a proper position and not forced to do something that 
doesn't actually contribute to society because someone like Chad certainly has a lot to contribute. And so for me, it's exhausting. I'm tired. I get big bags under my eyes. Uh-huh. I um, I do get a lot of miles on airplane, on planes, Delta, American. If so you're kind of like George Clooney in that way? In that way and many others. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Good point. Well, you do get to travel that. extensively, though. You go everywhere. You're trying to cash. Yeah, no, dude. I get to go everywhere, which is a blast, and I get to see all different sorts of things. With D-Real, we spent a lot of time in a juvenile detention center. Um, with Chad, I'm spending hours and hours at a special uh, needs school. Uh, you know, you you name it. I mean, I followed, a, on a lighter note, I followed a poker player um, for a week a year or two ago, and he hit me up one night after we were done shooting and going home at 10 o'clock, and he said, hey, meet me at the Teterboro Airport around midnight because I'm flying out to Vegas and I don't have anyone to fly with. And so we did that for a day. So the the um, the travels are fun, sometimes exhausting, but I wouldn't give it up for the world. Sounds awesome. So what's been your takeaway? I guess, I guess then the, the, um, the conversation is what is a healthy – about you know about town guy when you meet these people with these incredible challenges that make the most of it how does that affect you personally first and foremost i mean it humbles you uh you realize how lucky you you really are and uh even more so that i have a chance to document what they're going through try and make it relatable try and make it accessible to an mtv audience and so it kind of puts that in perspective that, yes, I want the show to be fun. I want it to be entertaining. I also want to make sure that people come away with something. You know, I think in the first episode, by the end of it, our viewers in one week may think, you know, oh, it's that girl's the girl with cancer. That guy's the dude with autism. And they, that's the guy who's in the gangs and, you know, his brother and best friend are getting shot up. But by the end of the series, by that 10th episode, I'm confident, hopeful that all of our viewers will say, Oh yeah, no, it's Chad, Kalen, D. Real. Yeah, they're they're really they're cool. Like right, I, right. I want to hang with them. Oh right, they do have cancer. Oh right, he has autism. I forgot about that. So that's that's um, what I try and do. And then I also learn a lot about how our system is screwed up. Whether it's healthcare, education, um, violence. Uh, there's a lot of parts of this country that that need some serious help, and I don't think are getting enough attention. Well, what what initially got you into this line of work? Your bio is like nine pages long. You've done a lot of stuff in a very short period of time. When I was a fresh, well, well, thank you, I appreciate that. When I was a freshman at college, I um, was getting quite depressed, and my grandfather was going through. Um, you know, my grandfather was like this brilliant scientist. He had invented modern day fluorescent light bulb, Indiglo on your watch, and I saw this genius in a nursing home kind of, you know, losing his mind. And I thought, he's living with 300 other senior citizens in a nursing home. I'm living with 300 other kind of random people as well. Uh, You know, what would it be like if I sort of lived in where he lives in a nursing home and filmed the entire process? Because all my life I'd wanted to make movies, I'd want to tell stories. And so we weren't able to get into his nursing home, but we eventually found one down in the mecca of senior living, Florida, (laughs) <laughs> and was it like Boca Del Rey? Yeah, it was um, Port St. Lucie. Okay, close enough. Yeah, no, no, no totally. And so, uh, got bought a couple cameras off of eBay. Um, they let us stay there for free. They let us eat there for free. Dinner was four o'clock, and <laughs> we um, we made a movie. You know, dropped out of college, made a movie out of it, and then 
that was on HBO, and then I was able to go to Japan for seven months and make a movie for ESPN, and then I got to meet you, Matthew, and now it's all kind of the whole. It's all been downhill since then. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like it's just kind of over at this point. So I've, I've, I'm, I am announcing my retirement on this show right now. Oh well, that, yeah, it's my fault, folks. Yeah, all, all your fault. So the theme of tonight's show is young adult cancer sucks, and I think it was very appropriate and timely that this was the show we can get you on, because the listenership, you know, you were very uh, grateful uh, that you tweeted and let your audience know, and MTV Act did their great stuff and let the people know that that the cause of young adult cancer it's not very obvious it's still not after all these years um sort of a general understanding in the we call you people citizens the citizen world pedestrians that, <laughs> we're just pedestrians, pedestrians. <laughs> that cancer actually happens to people in their teens 20s and 30s and we are an age group that doesn't really segregate by types of cancer and that this Kalen is just one story of 800,000 Americans who are under 40 who've been directly affected by a diagnosis of cancer, and that how do we amplify the destigmatization of this? So the, the fact that we have these four amazing women on the show, and we're going to get to Christy in a second, is just another testimonial that we can really make sure that, that there is additional, I hate the word awareness, because everyone's like, yeah. awareness of this, awareness, yeah, I'm aware of this, this air yeah. you breathe in, yeah, but it, that, that it's possible yeah. that Unlikely but possible that young adults can and do get cancer. We're a different breed of a human being in that experience. It's very different to get cancer in this age group. And it's also important what, what, what you said, the stigma. It, the stigma of illness and disease when you're 30, I was 30 and I was diagnosed, it's not cool to be tired and to go to a bar and just order water and, like, make up funny jokes, like telling bartenders I was pregnant. My friends didn't like that one. But I would, you know, always tell people, no, I can't drink tonight, I'm driving. But, mm-hmm. you know, the stigma that you don't want to tell people what's wrong with you. Yeah. Because yeah. you're afraid people are going to judge you, they're going to feel bad for you, people cry, and that's always awkward. But it's really, it is, it's so important to take away the stigma of disease in young adults because we're always seen as invincible and that nothing bad can happen. And it does, and it's catches, it catches everyone off guard. Catch it caught me off guard and happened to me, I'm sure. Caught Kaylin, had no idea what was going on, and that's such an important thing. I'm so glad you're doing that. Kaylin has an amazing um, line that she said the first day I met her, where she said when she tells people that she has cancer, a lot of times the response is, oh, yeah, you know, my grandmother had cancer. Yep. <laughs> or, yep. And response. then the other one, which I... <laughs> which is something else, they'd say, oh, yeah, you know, my dog had cancer. Oh, I can totally relate. It's like, what? You can totally, what'd you just, you know? <laughs> yeah. My, so I had breast cancer, and my favorite, my my grandma's a survivor if you want to talk to her about it. It's like, I really appreciate your compassion and your trying to relate to me. And that's something senior citizens. But I'm pretty sure that your postmenopausal grandma with white hair can't. I can't really relate to her. The only thing <laughs> she could possibly do is perhaps tell me a little bit about chemotherapy. But otherwise, I don't really think that we can relate. Well, that's a great segue to get Christy on the air. Indeed. So wanted to. Sure. My friend, Christy Norwood, was diagnosed with stage 2B, triple negative breast cancer, at age of 36 while pregnant with her fifth child. After 184 doctor's appointments, 35 rounds of chemo, 33 rounds of radiation, 17 surgeries, and the birth of her miracle daughter, born via C-section, 
she's truly a survivor. Christy, welcome. Hey there. Hi. Hi. Thank Sorry you for so the much. delay. We we had some technical. The internet gnomes uh, took over the show. You don't <laughs> That's know it. Okay. But you don't know it because you're not here. But much like um, a lot of the people on the Academy Awards last night, that was a standing ovation. That wasn't just class. <laughs> oh, Indeed. I felt like it was. I could feel it all the way here in Arkansas. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, again, tonight's show is really all about how young adult cancer sucks. Not that it su- doesn't suck to get cancer at any age, but I like to say that w- we're not special, but we're different, mm-hmm. and okay. that the public needs to have an appreciation. At a, at some point in time, it'll happen because it took 20 years for the idea of survivorship to hit the mainstream. The idea of cancer is being different. When you're younger, and and Andrew is on the show because he's been introduced to our world. He's guest co-hosting. He has lots of questions, and I think this sort of helps him understand the rabbit hole even more impactfully uh, for yeah. what you're doing in, in your life. So I'll I'll turn it over to Andrew. He's got great questions. Okay, great. Well, it's 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 nice to meet you on the um, on the radio here. What do you what do you think? And this is a, a general question, but mm-hmm. what what do you think? is something that the average Joe could do if he wants to help and he knows, you know, he knows a friend or he's known of a friend and he wants to get involved or do something. What what is what is like an, an answer? What what's an answer to that other than him kind of like writing a blog about it to you know sending to his friends or something kind of Well, you know, I think it's real important that people not just do, like you mentioned, the awareness, but, I mean, you know, we really want to find a cure for for this. Um, You know, my certain type of cancer is triple negative breast cancer. So for me, that's, you know, something I'm very passionate about. And, you know, to have been 36 and pregnant when I was diagnosed, it kind of makes me a rarity, you know, I don't know if that's really the word to say, but... You know, we've got, um, I'm involved with a foundation, you know, a triple negative foundation, the TNBC Foundation, which is, you know, very important to me. And they do a lot of stuff in communities and um, out there to try to get the word out to other people to get a lot of support and get do fundraising for that. And I think it's just important that people, you know, get involved in something and not just, you know, I, you know, just get kind of get the word out and get involved in anything that you can to help get, you know, awareness out there and help find a cure for it. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's it's incredible to just almost take a step back that you were pregnant during surgery and yeah. you have four young kids at home, so you were yeah. going through chemo during pregnancy being pregnant, being pregnant in a mom, I don't know, but I would assume that's a challenge in and of its own. <laughs> it um, was, and I was actually yeah. misdiagnosed for six months, so that's kind of a big deal. I was misdiagnosed for six months before they actually found it. And, and, and misdiagnosed? What, can you explain that a little bit, like in layman's mm-hmm. terms? She was misdiagnosed yes, yes. with testicular cancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, I hope not. No, that wasn't it. No, actually, I found an in. In March of 2009, um, I found a lump while I was nursing my um, son then, my young son then. This is, and then, so we went and they did all the screening, they did the test, they did um, uh, the. I had an MRI done and, and everything, and it all came back. I can, I'll never forget the doctor telling me, you know, that 
the best one in the area, cancer doesn't glow. So you don't have cancer. There's no way you have cancer. Cancer doesn't glow. Yeah, you're That's young. Incredible. You know, you don't even want, don't worry about it. It's, you know, it's probably just a clogged milk duct. And I'm thinking, okay, I have right. my fourth baby. I should right. probably know what that would be. So, you know, six months later when we found out we were pregnant again and it, it had just progressively gotten, gotten worse, um, uh, they'd had me on antibiotics for two different times. And so finally, I, I, you know, I told my husband, I said, something's not right. It's just not right. And how, how I, I'm, and I'm, I knew, yeah. and I knew that, you know, that there, it wasn't just something to be put on antibiotics for. So I went in and actually, you know, insisted that they do a biopsy because the lymph nodes were so swollen that I couldn't even lay on my side. And wow. you know, they did, a, they did a, a biopsy, and, I mean, the doctor called me the very next day and his exact words were, I don't even know how to tell you this, but it's malignant. Mm. And, and how, so do you, how do you face that in a nutshell? How do you kind of hear that news and sort of, you know, still wake up the next morning fighting? It, you know, it's it's people ask me that all the time. You know, what did you I'm glad do? I'm so what original. was it like? <laughs> yeah, everybody asks me that. They do. They say, you know, what? You know, oh my gosh, what did you? I mean, what it went through your mind? And of course, for me, having four children, I thought. Oh my gosh! You know I have to be here for my kids. You know there's, I'm not ready to not be here for them. And how is that's got to be so me? scary, Jesus? You know they told me that there's no way this can be cancer, and that yeah. you know you're healthy, and now they're telling me that it is, and they don't. You know it was just I just I knew at that moment that I just kind of for for me I had to hand it over and to say okay I'm going to be as strong as I can, and I can do this. And there's a reason, and I'm going to face it head on, and I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to beat it. There's no other option. I'm going to beat it. Now, are your and kids, that's how your, I looked at it. Were your kids old enough to where you felt you had to communicate with this with them, or no? Um, I was very open with them. The oldest was 12, and then I had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, a little boy who had just turned one, and then as you know, we said I was pregnant just out of my first, trimest- first trimester, thank goodness, because the outcome for that could have not been very well. But um, I was very open with the four of them as to what was happening and what I was going through. I wanted to make sure that they were a part of it so that they weren't scared because I think, you know, so many times we try to kind of cover it up and yes, because we don't, you know, we don't, we want to hide it. But I wanted them to be aware of everything that was happening. Um, that, so if yeah. they weren't scared of it, you know, it, it, it's here and we're going to face it and we're all going to face it together. And, you know, there's going to be lots of changes happen to mommy and you know, she's going to lose her hair and we're going to go through all this. But, it's, you know, I'm still going to be me. And it was important for me that they knew that. One of the sad things I saw was how not uncommon it is for women to be at the oncologist. When I was at the oncologist, I met a woman who also went through chemotherapy during pregnancy. And I said to her, and she also had children at home. I think she was 29. And I said to her, I was like, I can't, chemotherapy makes you feel so awful. Mm-hmm. I can't even, and then I've heard being pregnant feels so awful. I can't even imagine doing the two things together. I know you have a picture when you had your C-section and you're actually bald. and So tell us a little bit about the surgery and 
you know, you did 35 rounds of chemotherapy? Um, yes, actually. And actually, I did. You win. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, I did. I'm here. I won. <laughs> um, yeah, I did. I did 35 rounds of chemo, and I did five of those while I was pregnant. Um, and, you know, one of the hardest things during that was I didn't want them to see if I got really sick. I didn't want my other kids to see if I got really sick. They knew what could happen, but, you know, I just didn't – I you just don't know what exactly it's going to do. So, you know, they would go to grandparents and stuff right after I had my treatment or after I had my um, chemo and then they would be gone for a week and then they would come back home, you know, because you are so tired. You can't take care of yourself. You, so I couldn't take care of them. But I did that. I went through five, round, or five rounds of chemo while I was pregnant. Um, just about every after every chemo, it put me into labor. So I would have to go to the ER, and they would have to stop it. Um, I had a blood transfusion while I was pregnant. Um, uh, you know, my blood counts were all were low. My white blood counts were low. So I had several shots. Um, but when Paige came, that's my daughter, she, um, we went in for a normal checkup. We were kind of already knew she was going to be early, but we went into the doctor for a normal checkup just to make sure her lungs and everything were developed and, and my um, doctor was like, oh, I think we probably need to, she's kind of looking like her belly's swelling. And my husband and I were like, what does that mean? But she wasn't getting anything. The chemo had actually made my placenta stop working completely. So she was getting nothing. And so that day they were like, okay, you're having a baby today. Wow. And she was, yeah, and so we went in and they tried to induce and they just couldn't. She was in just distress. And, you know, you're worried because... It, I wasn't only about me during that time. I had her to think about. And, I, you know, as a mother, you you put your children before everything. And, you know, here I, here I was sick and so sick. And I was so scared as to, you know, if I was hurting her is kind of how I felt. I felt like I, you know, I just had to pray about it and that, I, that she was going to be okay. And... I can remember the moment, it's all kind of a blur, but I remember them pulling her out, and I was like, is she all right? You know, is she okay? And they held her over, and I remember looking at her, and she had all of her fingers and all of her toes, and I was just like, oh, thank you, God, she's perfect. You know, Christy, one of the things that that, um, strikes me that I'd like our audience to understand is, you know, when they say, well, what is it about being younger that's different? And you just say, babies? (laughs) And it just shuts them up. It's like that's all you have to say, babies. You know, mm-hmm. parenting, pregnancy, fertility mm-hmm. rights, access. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, Andy was telling me about this woman who was diagnosed at 21. You know, the yeah. last thing on your mind when you're 21, odds are, is, is a family and getting married and having kids. You know, you're in college and probably want to just build a life for yeah. yourself first. Yes. You know, then it's uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, the differential. How do we get the rest of the world and the country to to recognize that when, like you said, when you're young with cancer, and someone says, "Oh, my grandma had it, or my dog had it," you know, that's yes. you know, like it's it's you know, they're trying to be nice, but like I said, it took 20 years to get the word survivorship into our vernacular, and I think we're making good strides. But I just also want to point out before Andy gets to our last question because we have to wrap up, is just the fact that you went through this and the the, the child is healthy and happy and mm-hmm. normal is a sign yeah. of progress. 
even as far as five or six or seven years ago, that would not have happened. They would have made you abort the pregnancy to save your life. There would have been no chance for hope. So the oncofertility movement is really making significant progress in medical advances, technology, screening, surgical procedures, best practices. There's a large underworld of that happening on behalf of the young adult universe because we're the ones that get pregnant under 40. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'll pass it to... Go ahead. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just wanted to ask you, so uh, I met Christy at the triple negative breast cancer benefit last year. I was rocking my pink dress with my blonde wig, and you received an award, and I was very happy to meet you. And we are actually both triple negative breast cancer foundation champions. So why don't you tell our listeners (laughs) um, a little bit about, so we're launching the first annual Triple Negative Breast Cancer Day. I'll let you tell our listeners a little bit about it and of how they can get involved if they want to get involved. That's right, and it's so exciting. This is really a neat thing that the the Triple Negative Breast Cancer is having, a foundation is having a Triple Negative Breast Cancer Day on March 3rd of 2013 of this year, and they're just trying to get everybody in the communities um, to get together and get get supporters together to join fundraisers or, you know, get their own fundraiser together to raise awareness in every state across the country about triple negative breast cancer. Um, You know, they're trying to raise funds for, they're trying to raise funds for, to go towards a cure, you know, and this is one of their big fundings that they do. This is the first time they've done this one, and they're really excited about it. And you can go to, if anybody wants to go and get some more information on it, you can go to www.tmbcfoundation.org, and it will take you directly to their site. And it will has all kinds of information on how to set up your own event, how to find an event. It's got triple negative breast cancer facts on there, fundraising ideas. Um, we've got champions that are that are on board in several different areas that have things set up. I know there's people doing teas and walks and just all kinds of things to try to get it out there, to get the word out there about TMDC and exactly what it is and how important it is. And, um, you know, we're really excited about it. So I hope that, you know, anyone listening can either go and set up your own event and get it going or, you know, go and join one and help us in, you know, in finding a cure for this disease that affects so many people. Yeah, it's a great, it's it's amazing. It's a total grassroots movement. I'm so super proud to be part of it. And oh, yeah. um so glad I met you and everyone's doing well and look forward to seeing you again real soon. I know, and thank you so much. And I really appreciate getting to be a part of this. And, you know, I look forward to to all the, you know, people out there getting involved. And, you know, I think it's just going to be a great thing to get the word out there. All right. God bless you. Christy Norwood, everybody. Thank you, Christy. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Let's breeze through the news here. I, I, I'm not going to play any of the cues because we're running late. So um, I just want to make a shout-out that our annual patient conference is coming up. It's going to be at the end of October. It's called the OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults at omg2013.org, omg2013.org. It is the largest cancer conference in the world for young adults. We're expecting several hundred attendees from all around the country, 
Uh, some come from other countries as well. It's is really become an international phenomenon. Three and a half days of awesome at the Palms Casino Resort in Las Vegas because, hey, why not? Uh-huh. Um, uh, we have a, a travel reimbursement program. If you can't afford to be there, you can raise some money. We'll reimburse you for travel. It's really an experience unto itself, unlike anything else out there in healthcare. And we really invite you to just check it out. If you or someone you know has been affected by cancer under 40, please come out to the uh, OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults. And with that, we will introduce our trinity of awesome. All right. Okay. I'll try to get to them all at the same time. Zipporah Razor was diagnosed with stage 3 inflammatory breast cancer at 30 years old. Tom Berlane is an award-winning filmmaker, caregiver, became a cancer survivorship coach when her late husband passed at 37 from Hodgkin's. And Nico Juber is uh, 30 years old now. She's an 11-year survivor of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, again, the theme is young adult cancer totally sucks. Please welcome to the show Nico Juber, Tom Berlane, and uh, Spora Razor. Ladies. Welcome. Hi. Hello. Hello. Yeah, we had technical glitches, so we're about 15 minutes late. But so thanks for bearing with us. You've been listening to the show, and, you know, it's just this is our 256th broadcast, and every show has amazing stories. And this time we have the all-powerful Andrew Jenks as our yeah, guest co-host right. who <laughs> dipped his toe in the water of the Young Adult Cancer Movement a little over a year ago, and it's gotten us such a wider voice to an amazing community that's, that's just so idea. receptive to everything you do. No, thank you for being receptive, yeah. Um, should I tell a little bit of background on the show, or do you, should we jump right into questions? Do you guys know about the World of Jenks show? Have you? I, uh, I Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> You've been Googled, Andrew. I've been Googled. So the show I... airs um, March 4th, a week from today, 11 o'clock, and... We follow three people over the course of a year, and I don't want to take up too much time because I know we're running low. That's okay. One of them is Kaylin Andres, who is a young, beautiful, smart, funny woman who we follow as she pursues her dreams of fashion in New York City, where she moves from uh, San Francisco. And she's incredible. She did a comic book um, for young adults or young people going through chemo, and... I was able to really learn from her over the course of um, over the course of a year. Is she still in treatment? Uh, unfortunately, her Ewing sarcoma came back, and uh, recently, and so she's right now going through chemo again. So you know, our hearts and love and prayers to everybody that's going through this right now. But the, the, again, tonight's show is really about how young adult cancer sucks. It's I, I like to joke that it's hard enough being 22. To begin with, yeah, you know, throw something like this on top of it, and and we got to make the world realize that we're different, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I'd like to just turn it over to Tom. I've I've known you a long time now. You're an amazing uh, example of a young adult because you were a caregiver, and that's also something that's really under discussed in the young adult world. The impact that it has on the young adult caregiver. Yes, it's uh, it's something I didn't expect. It totally sucked. My late husband and I were right at the point of you know starting to plan for a family, do a remodel on our house uh, when he was diagnosed, and uh, he'd made some great strides in his career as a production designer. Was working with people like Oliver Stone, so we were pretty much poised for the life that we had planned um, until the unplanned happened. And taking the journey of a caregiver is a different, definitely a different perspective 
although there were points when I actually jumped right in the pond with him. And when I caught myself one day saying, we have our chemotherapy, I realized I needed to go get some some help and some support because um, it wasn't my cancer and uh, I was there to support him and do everything I could to, to help him. But caregivers really do need some support and understanding where that boundary is um, and that they also need to practice self-care. That's a really important piece of it. So, and, and I guess and that takes us, you know, and, and you also wrote a book and you, you've become a, a life coach and a pro coach and you have a master's of communications. You've you really managed to, and I really hate the expression, make lemonade from lemons. <laughs> but that's essentially you got busy living and, you know, bereavement and becoming, I don't know if you like the word widow or bereaved spouse, but whatever is most appropriate. You know, how do you move on from that? How is that? So different, obviously, it's different than being 75 and losing your husband. Um, but that's the young adult story, correct? Absolutely. Uh, and it wasn't easy, and it was ugly a lot of times, frankly. And I think that the big piece for me was um, knowing that Gary would want better for me. I struggled for six to eight years, and I feel like I lost a lot of years to the grieving process until I got inspired to go and take my coach training and walk away from a 20-year career in Hollywood and do something that I felt could help other people going through the experience. Um, I kept, in traditional therapy and support groups, I kept saying, you know, I get that there's emotional healing that I need to do. I understand this is going to be painful. But if I have to recreate a life without him, you know, this new blank slate, which isn't dissimilar to the new blank slate often that cancer, when you're diagnosed with cancer, you face. It's like everything changes. Nothing like this was expected. So who am I now and how do I want to create my life now? And that was what I was asking for help with. And they just kept looking at me like with this blank stare. Um, coaching is such a, you know, kind of a, a proactive uh, action-oriented process of really looking, starting to look at what are your core values, what matters to you. And I looked back at why did I make the choice to become a filmmaker? Because I wanted to tell stories to help others so that they'd see a different perspective in life. Well, I saw that I could do that with coaching, help others by giving them a different perspective from which to view the same circumstances and really dig down and get to know who they are now and what they want now. And what I found when I dug down was that I wanted to carry on Gary's legacy of leading an extraordinary life no matter what circumstances you're going through because that he demanded that of us as we went through the three years together, no matter what was going on on the medical side. And so out of that, I created wellbeyondordinary.com, uh, which is my, my coaching site website, and I started coaching cancer survivors and caregivers as well. Um, I got a chance to partner with Nico Juber, who's on the line, uh, doing an ebook, the Tend to Thrive ebook for young adult cancer survivors. And that's all very set in the coaching model of having a lot of strategies, tools, resources, and taking steps and action because you have to rebuild your life. Well, yeah. that, that's a great segue to Nico. Yeah, I was about to say, you just segued for me. So, Nico, having you were diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma at 19 years old, and clearly it just brought out the entrepreneur in you. So why don't you tell us a little about your story? Yeah, absolutely. So I was 19. It was funny you were mentioning before the person who was diagnosed at 21. I was in college. That was pretty much me. I wasn't really thinking about, you know, life too much. I was just kind of living in the moment. 
across the country from my family, and I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and it was just sort of a sledgehammer over the head, and as Tamara kind of mentioned, the, the blank slate of going, okay, how do I move forward? How do I live my life? And um, 11 years later, looking back on it, it's just, you know, I, I see the spectrum that survivorship is going through treatment, and then afterwards, being a post-treatment survivor, especially as a young adult, how much of it has sucked in different ways and, you know, evolves in the way that, the, <laughs> that it sucks, but also trying to kind of come to terms with how do I move forward, as she said, and, um, you know, be proactive for myself. And I think you guys will actually appreciate that her and I um, went to the OMG Summit last year together, and that's where we came up with the idea for the Tend to Thrive book. <laughs> so, so it's my um, fault. <laughs> We were so inspired. Yeah, we were so inspired that we uh, put our heads together. There were so many great speakers there, and we thought, why don't we just come up with some really practical top ten action items for people around different topics like dating, finances, legal, and so on. Um, once cancer treatment's over, but it was basically what I wish someone had handed me when I was done with my treatment. And you know, this is uh, Andrew Jenks here. Um, one thing here among many that you have been working on it looks like uh in terms of various events you have a stress reduction seminar um as well as yoga what i'd be i'm just curious kind of in your world what what that what that means and um kind of specifically what it accomplishes yeah so um my foundation called thrive survive which is at thrivesurvive.org we're we're based in LA and it's just local programming for young adult post-treatment survivors. And um, I basically said, you know, what what would I want coming out of treatment? And we do things, like you mentioned, like the stress reduction workshop, yoga. Um, we did a healthy after cancer cooking class with UCLA. And um, just programming that kind of targets the different areas. And actually, Tamara and I had worked together on um, some events in the past. So we did a yoga coaching session, for example, where we did journaling, we did um, yoga with a teacher who was also a young adult cancer survivor, and then we also did coaching techniques. So it was a really comprehensive session, and we're hoping to do more events like that. That's awesome. Very cool. Very, yeah, because cool. cancer causes a little bit of stress. Yeah, just a tad. Does it? Yeah, <laughs> just, you guys just a little. Tell me that. <laughs> And Sapora, you're another one of the Andy Goodman Club. You guys know yeah. That? <laughs> yeah. So last year, this time, uh, so Sapora and I actually grew up together. We grew up on the South Shore of Long Island, all the other Jews, and like all the other Jews on Long Island, we went to summer camp together for I don't know seven or eight years, and uh, we were both actually diagnosed with breast cancer this week last year, at uh, one day apart, which is pretty crazy. Same yeah. age, one day apart. Anyway, so why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your case, your story, the terrible breast cancer you had, et cetera. I, I was diagnosed with a stage 3B inflammatory breast cancer on February 28th of last year, and um, I, I was 30 years old, and it was it sucked. <laughs> um, and it, it was crazy because I, uh, until I was diagnosed, I I didn't think there were types of breast cancer. I thought there was just, you know, you have breast cancer, the same one that you have and the same one that you have. And all of a sudden I was told that I have the most rare type and the most aggressive type and that this was really bad. 
and this is my doctor is telling me this. This was like this is bad, and um, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, I have the flu right now. Um, How dare you, young woman? <laughs> it's post-treatment reality, right? Yeah. Flu goes around and hits us first. Um, so the the other worst part about being diagnosed with cancer for me was that I had no health insurance when I was first diagnosed, and that was for me it was more stressful to deal with that than the actual cancer because I couldn't get my treatment because I couldn't pay for it. Um, so I ended up having to you know, apply for state insurance, and it took four months. And um, but, uh, but that's yet another <laughs> thing, young mm-hmm. adults, insurance, careers, dating, mm-hmm. fertility, parenting, doesn't really impact you when you're 80 years old with cancer. No. So telling me your grandma had cancer, thanks, but, you know. Thanks, but grandma had Medicare. But <laughs> <laughs> well, one of, one of the, the frustrating things about having cancer at a young age is that people don't understand, people think that people our age don't get sick, that we're just supposed to be healthy, that, you know, in your 20s and 30s, you're in college, in grad school, you're getting married, you're having kids, you're starting careers, you, you know, you're not supposed to have to take time to, save your life. And people just don't understand that there's a whole group of us that are going through this and insurance companies especially don't understand that. And you know, they I, I couldn't get my mammogram and the, my doctor was on the phone yelling at these insurance companies and and the these places that offered free mammograms that wouldn't help me because I was too young. And it was just, you know, it was very frustrating at the beginning um to to be told well, you have this the most aggressive type of breast cancer, and we can't help you because you're too young. Yeah, that that's always awesome. That, that always reminds me back to uh, in Michael Moore's Sicko. This is not an endorsement of the film, but one of the anecdotes is that there's a young woman who gets cervical cancer. She lives in Michigan, mm-hmm. and the insurance company denies her surgery because young women don't get cervical young, young women don't get cancer. Yeah. So she actually married a Canadian. <laughs> there you go. There's a website ah. called marryacanuck.com that I remember very vividly from the movie. She literally fled across the Mackinac up to Canada, got married to this guy just to get free health care, had her life saved, came back to the U.S. That's, not, that's uh, not fraud. No, no, that's good stuff right there. That's crazy. But you know what, that's, that's not as rare as people think. People have to do crazy things to, to survive because we just – People don't believe us, or they just don't understand, you know, the gravity of our situation being young people with cancer. Exactly, exactly. All right, so I want to hear, you know, there's always funny stories. I had a pre-story where I was read my last rites by accident mm-hmm. after my, my neurosurgery, and then I told him I was Jewish, and he went away. It's <laughs> <laughs> a true story. It's funny now. It wasn't funny then. Yeah. My mom had a shit fit the morning after when I told her. But, but I want to hear you. Right, so, in the misdiagnoses, the, like I was joking that you got diagnosed with testicular cancer by accident. But, you know, the comedy of terrors that is young adult cancer, being misunderstood, getting misdiagnosed, not being understood by your employers. I'm sure the three of you could opine on some r- ridiculous. So what do they call the ridiculous that Anderson Cooper says of of what makes it oh, so God, unique to that, be young. That's terrible. That thing, by the way, ridiculous. Yeah. I just made it up, even though I know about it. I've seen it a couple times, and it's not... He laughs during half of them, and he came and spit it out. That's what I've seen. God bless the solar fox. I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm just saying. So so let's go to Nico, because you actually started a charity um, because of the angst and the stupidity of what happens to young adults. You know, give us a yarn. 
So, um, well, <laughs> misdiagnoses, I was actually diagnosed with a sinus infection first. That was my, um, and they started me on antibiotics. <laughs> I'm glad that I didn't finish that up, uh, but that was certainly not what the issue was. But yeah, I, my co-founder actually, Sunshine, she was in a very similar situation um, in terms of not having insurance. I was very lucky that I was covered um, under my parents' insurance still, but she was a little bit older. And yeah, she couldn't rent an apartment, couldn't because her credit got ruined after cancer. Um, she went completely bankrupt and has been rebuilding her credit ever since. And so we kind of, she was the first person I'd ever met in person who is another young adult survivor. And we just sat there going, oh, you had to do that? Oh, I had to do that too. And just the crazy stories, the fact that she had to call people begging to be able to rent an apartment. It was just like, we don't want other people to have to do this. This is ridiculous. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, we didn't choose to have cancer. Yeah, exactly. Tomber? Tambra, I don't tell me how to say it. Correct me. School me. Uh Tambra. 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 Yeah, so this is a really good one. It's I'm neat. sitting there yeah. on the couch as uh my husband's struggling with the side effects of chemotherapy, you know, talking to his doctor about the fatigue, and I happened to tear out an article on athletes who are doping. And uh, I Why does that the, sound familiar? You mean why? Ath- I don't know why that sounds familiar. Athletes are doping I am so grateful for doping athletes because I walked into the doctor's office at the next appointment, took my position in the caregiver corner where I usually remained fairly silent because uh, my husband was New York Jewish and so was his doctor and they had it all going on together, you know, so they, <laughs> they had their little thing that they did. Um, and at one point I said, okay, so the fatigue Gary's experiencing – this wouldn't happen to help. This thing called nupagen, would right. it? <laughs> and and to his to his you know benefit, I would say he did look at the article. He said to me, actually, yes, it would. And he stood there and wrote the script for it and handed it over to him. And that was like the solution to Gary getting what he needed. And a part of me was like, are you serious? I have to read a magazine article. You know, and bring that in to one of the world's leading specialists in Hodgkins, who's a really nice guy and very good at what he does. But and now he's your dealer. Exactly. Yeah. You and, me, you know, you and that was one of the things that really pushed me, again, to get the coaching going and out there to really help people, whether it's the, the caregiver or the cancer survivor, to learn how to be a self-advocate, to design conversations in a way that they can bring these kind of things to their doctors, you know, you know so that they're comfortable Speaking it because a lot of times I find people are afraid to say anything because they don't want to piss their doctor off. Um, you know, they want that relationship, they need that support, but there's absolutely a way to design conversations that empowers the doctor and doesn't threaten them or the medical team. So it definitely was a piece of the inspiration to get off my butt and get other people some tools so that they could have those kind of conversations. It reminds me of like this old Bill Maher joke um, when he was doing some stand-up. He talked. He was making fun of the pharmaceutical industry where the commercials are like, you know, tell your doctor. <laughs> Shouldn't your doctor tell you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have to admit, I kind of, you said nupogen. It gives me the heebie-jeebies. I had so much nupogen, and it is a life-saving drug, so that you don't get like some sort of crazy viral infection or whatever and die from that. Not just die from cancer. But ooh, if anyone doesn't know what that is, it's basically just a shot of white blood cells that I gave it to myself. Um, some people have to go to the office, but I gave it to myself, and I, I got over that after, like, the second one. But I think I had, like, 16 shots, 16 or 17. And, oh, towards the end, it is painful because it, it causes bone pain, joint pain, makes you feel really icky. 
but at the same time, chemotherapy, it all makes you feel icky, and then you just, you know, that's what you got to do to not die. All right, so I have a question for all five of you guys. What is... Well, that's because uh, Tom Brook counts, too. Oh, right. <laughs> no, no, you, me and Annie, I guess, too, yeah. right? Okay. I was going to say, I feel yeah. like I... Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what is the one thing... What is the most ridiculous thing each of you has heard a sentence or two from a doctor of yours? In your own interpretation of, of ridiculous. Just one thing? <laughs> yeah. just, just one. I say just one because I, I have a hunch that if not, we would do it. We'd have, we'd have to do another episode of the of the show here. Yeah, well, we'll like we'll let Sephora go first. Well, I have. This wasn't my doctor. This was a nurse. It was two days. I had a uh, a bilateral mastectomy with tram flap reconstruction, which is the major abdominal surgery plus you know the boobies and everything, and. This was two days after the surgery. I'm lying in the hospital bed. I have six drains sticking out of my body, um, two in a very sensitive area, and I I couldn't move. And my mom was trying to help lift me out of the bed, and I couldn't lift myself. And the nurse that was uh, there that day, she was eight months pregnant, so she couldn't lift me. So she went, yeah, it was a struggle to begin with. But she, uh, she had to go get a, a different nurse. And this nurse came in. I don't know if this nurse was interrupted from something important i don't know but she came in and she just stands there staring at us and she finally just looks at my mom who's struggling to get me out of bed and she goes oh she looks young how old is she and my mom said well she just turned 31 my birthday had been the week before and this nurse goes well she's too young to need help and she walked out wow boy and i'm like i just two days after i had (laughs) yeah totally uh, two days after I, I had, you know, my breasts removed and, you know, it was major surgery, you know, after I had five months of chemo and I'm too young to need help. That was nice of them. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> well, we'll let Nico go for to go next. Boy, that, that's a bad one. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. I don't know if I can top that. Mine's kind of more general. I found um, from a lot of my doctors that I've gone over over the years, there's a lot of the sentiment of, you know, if something's wrong, let's say I'm having an issue with my thyroid or this or that, it's always, well, but at least you survived. Yeah. And I go, but I want to feel good now. <laughs> you know, it, there's, you know, there's issues that pop along the road, and I think that uh, there's this sort of dismissive attitude of, well, you know, okay should be good enough. And I think that you really, you, know, you, sh- you should be getting certain level of attention with a certain medical history, and I think that it's really easy for doctors to be dismissive because of your age. Um, so, yeah, it's more of a general thing for me. <laughs> I will, I'll go next because I have – mine's very recent. Okay. One was for my when I went to meet my plastic surgeon, um, I had to have a mastectomy, and I had reconstruction at the same time. I have uh, implants, which we've talked about extensively on the program, and um, – my plastic surgeon, the first thing he said to me was, wow, you're young. And it's like, no, <laughs> no shit, Sherlock, thanks. <laughs> and then um, the next thing he said to me was, well, the new ones won't be as saggy. I was like, wow. thanks, thanks, dude. I was like, it's like, man, you go to the plastic surgeon for results. What's your response to that? I was just like, I just shook my head. She had I was a like, in her pocket. I was like, oh, for the love of God. I guess you have to still be nice to him because. Yeah, well, this is the way, this, this is how I. You should go beat him up now. Yeah, no, he's good. Yeah. We've, we've come a long way. Yeah, One right. surgery and 12 appointments later, we've come a long Fair way. Enough. That was but, aggressive. Yeah, but one, 
I will say the one thing I always kept in mind with the plastic surgeon was you go for results. You you go for results as in as aesthetic results. They're never delivering bad news to you. They're never giving you life-saving or life-changing information. So you go to that person to make you look better. You don't go to that person to save your life. So that's how I compartmentalized it so that I didn't want to, you know, kind of smack him. But he's done a great job. My boobs look awesome. So, you know, he can he can say whatever he wants now. But last week I had to go for a CAT scan, and um, this nurse who had, like, a crazy accent, I don't even know what country she was from, she was asking me, like, a million questions, and she I said, you know, that I had a mastectomy. And she said, well, when is your next mammogram? I was like, never. <laughs> and she was like, no, don't you get a mammogram in six months? I was like, no. I was like, I don't get what, and she was like, "When is your next mammogram?" I said, "I don't have breasts. I don't have to have a mammogram. I had a mastectomy." And she's like, "Oh, you had both done?" I was like, "Oh my god, yes! How many times do I have to tell you?" And I'm like, and I'm like telling her how I hate getting scans, and I'm like all cracked out on Xanax, <laughs> so they could shove me in the little machines, and she's asking me. You know, and I hate the one thing that's, like, so frustrating with scans is they inject you all this crap. And they're like, are you allergic? And you're like, well, I don't know. Have I had this injection before? And you try to tell them what kind of scans you've had before. And they're like, well, we don't think you've had that contrast yet. It's like, well, we guess we'll find out if you're allergic. So that's my favorite is I did have that once where I had to get taxed. When I got taxol, they give you a test to see if you're allergic to it. And I was, like, extremely anaphylactic allergic to it. So I so I used to, like, never have fear that I'd be allergic to something. But after that experience, I'm a little more sensitive to it. But, yeah, so that was my favorite last week was, like, arguing with this lady. Oh, and before my um, before my, before my my surgery the morning of, I, you know, you fast for, like, a bazillion hours because you're about to have four hours worth of uh, anesthesia. And they told me I needed to take a pregnancy test. And I said, well, I just took one, you know, a couple of days ago. And you guys did a blood test. I'm not pregnant. And, you know, not to be TMI, but I just finished, like, two days ago, so I'm good. And she's like, well, I need you to take a pregnancy test. I said, well, I don't need to go to the bathroom. So I'm, I'm arguing with this nurse about how I don't need to use the bathroom and I can't take a pregnancy test, and I'm really sorry. And I got to the point where I was like, I'm going to be late to my own surgery because you're making me try to go to the bathroom, and I told you not to go. And I just left. And I was like, I'm not pregnant. Just give me the anesthesia. Let's get the show on the road. So, yeah, sometimes... I'd say 99% of all the medical people I've come across have been good, but every once in a while, when you go to the doctor that frequently, you're bound to have something weird happen. Mm-hmm. I have a very short story. Before I was diagnosed with brain cancer, one doctor told me it's all on my head. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's something. Yeah. Well, he was right. He was right. <laughs> Just a dick. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I think it's Topper's turn. Yeah. Uh, yes, the surgeon <laughs> who did the biopsy um, definitely was very clear that we would not be given reports the day of the biopsy, that it would be over the weekends and, you know, that we would come in the next week and then proceeded to walk out while Gary was still under anesthesia and uh, sit me down and very quickly say to me, oh, so I just want to let you know it's absolutely cancer. I'm like 99% sure. And uh, but don't tell your husband until next week, and oh when we get God. the lab results back, in case I'm wrong. Any questions? <laughs> I have just a couple. Yeah. 
you know, and what that did was it took away my opportunity to create a strategy and a plan to be supported there as the caregiver. So when when doctors don't provide that ahead of time, when they don't let you know ahead of time that, you know, you may get some news, so is there somebody you would like there? And these are some of the, the, the things that we design in coaching is how do you want to go into this event, uh, whether it's a scan or an appointment or a surgery? What is it that you want there and how do you want it to go so that you can be more conscious about going in, more relaxed, less stress? And when they don't offer that to you, it really takes away the opportunity for the patient and the caregiver to come at it from a choiceful place and put strategies and plans in place. Because what I've found is that when human beings have a plan and they know what the strategy is, it reduces their stress levels so significantly and they feel like they've got some control over what's going on. I have a philosophical question for all of the guests, including Andrew. And this goes back to what I've discovered and just been being in this industry and being a part of its sort of formation for a couple of years. There's a tremendously different philosophy on research and survivorship and the word cure and body parts in the young adult community. I think it's because we're such a smaller group and we don't really – I wouldn't – care that Annie had breast cancer or colorectal. I just like the fact that she gets it and I understand you know, her and we know what it's like to go through this at this age. But the word cure bothers me. It's always bothered me. And I guess that's because I spent 10 years in the agency world where we invent words to manipulate people. And that, that's all advertising really is, manipulating people to buy crap they don't need. <laughs> so the word cure confounds me and I I found that young adults don't like it as much because it's too nebulous and it doesn't make any sense and if we're living with cancer uh, does that count and with metastatic disease or even if you're disease free you still may be infertile or you may be un- unable to have children or broke or, or you know are you ever really rid of the impact it has had and I just would love to have each of you comment on what the word cure means to you so let's start with Nico. Yeah, I don't think I've ever referred to myself as cured, even though it's been 11 years. And I don't think a doctor has ever said that to me, even though I know the chances of it coming back are uh, minuscule at this point. But I, it's something that I've never really been so comfortable with. And I think philosophically I I'm, tend to agree with you that there, you know, you're a survivor for life, and I think that – and there's lots of different phases of survivorship, and it's an ongoing process. Um, you know, you, you'll always be dealing with the psychosocial um, repercussions, the physical repercussions, you know, whatever you had to go through, and, and everyone has their unique story on it. So that, that's my position anyway. Sephora? Um, well, this is actually something I've been thinking about a lot because, you know, during my treatment, I physically just looked a lot different. I was on a massive amount of steroids. I gained 50 pounds. I, you know, was bald, everything. And now that I look normal again and I look healthy again, um, it's actually been harder to go out because people don't understand that just because I look better on the outside that I'm not 100% better on the inside and that I might never be. And like you mentioned infertility, you know, I chemo put me into chemopause and I haven't come out of it yet, and there's a very real possibility that, I, you know, I'm infertile and, you know, I've had other other health issues. You know, I haven't had the flu in 10 years, but, you know, I get cancer and then I get the flu. So, you know, my health is definitely not um, back at the level where it was and it might never be, and I just have to be really careful, and people 
don't really get that. You know, they're like, oh, why can't you go out till 3 o'clock in the morning and go drinking and doing this? And I'm like, well, I can, but I'd probably end up in the hospital. And um, I just, I, you know, and I know Annie and I have talked about this, that, you know, your post-treatment anxiety is sometimes almost worse than your treatment anxiety because, you know, when you're in treatment, you're, something's getting done. You know, you're at the doctor, if you're me, you're at the doctor three times a week and you're, you know, always having them on top of everything. And now you're on your own and you have to judge what you should worry about and what you shouldn't worry about and, you know, is this something bad or is this, you know, and it's just, it's stressful because, you know, this is, you don't just, you know, you don't hear the words, or your cancer is gone, now go live your life and I never want to see you again. You know, I, I'm going to be a doctor for the rest of my life. And, right. you know, it, it's a never-ending, you know, I, I don't want to say battle because it, it's nothing like the battle of, of getting rid of the cancer. But, you know, you spend the rest of your life dealing with the effects that, that fighting for your life left you with. Yeah, post-treatment, seeing a little cray-cray. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> oh, Andrew, you're what, what did you call yourself? Not a citizen, a uh, pedestrian. pedestrian. Okay, you're a pedestrian. On a good day. So you walked into this universe, you discovered young adult cancer, but just, you know, you, well, you're aware of cancer. You work in the MTV universe and causes are big in the youth market, but what are your thoughts on the word cure? I think that for someone like myself who... Um, who hasn't had cancer, and before I became friends with Kaylin, who I followed who had cancer and got to know a lot of people um, who've had cancer, it's very hard to relate. And so I think a lot of times when you can't relate to something, you start to look at it as if it's black or white. And so the quickest way to, and I'm being a bit crude here, but the quickest way to kind of getting out of that feeling of someone bringing up that they have cancer and you feel awkward about it is, well, are you cured? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's almost like the easiest way to move on in the conversation because otherwise that pedestrian feels awkward, which they shouldn't if if they shouldn't, but is is something that is oftentimes the case. Is it wrong of us to expect pedestrians to act the way we'd like them to? Expect, did you say? Yes. What uh, um, a hope. Yeah, I think it's, of course, yeah, to hope and to feel like you're doing things to get in that place. Um, and you're doing that, every, you know, you're doing that right now. You're doing it through the show. Um, expect, I don't, I don't know about expect, but obviously hope for sure. Because that would be nice if, like, I mean, I look back at other diseases that used to be death sentences that are now chronic diseases, specifically in, like, young girls, like MS. Yeah. Or lupus, you know. They were like, I remember watching this movie with Daphne Zuniga, you know, um, called Grey's Anatomy. Not the show, but the movie, like years and years ago. And like, the, one of the professors in the movie died from lupus, and like, scared the crap out of me. And I'm a guy, you yeah. know. Like, lupus is a managed condition these days. And if you disclose that you have lupus, no one says, you know, you know, it, it, are we moving in a direction where cancer is just going to become a general understanding? You know, probably won't die from it. You might have a major interruption at some point? I actually think we're getting away from that world where we use kind of these words that um, fit, you know, underneath an entire umbrella, if you will. So if you look at other sicknesses, diseases, um, something even like depression, you know, people use that word all the time, but there's very different types of 
uh, depression or bipolar. And so I think in a in a world now where information is like water, right? It's everywhere. Right. We now can look up specifically, you know, the twenty you know twenty different types of cancer. They're all on Wikipedia. They're on forums. There's radio shows about it. So I think we are moving towards a more positive place where um, where we appreciate the specifics. I would hope so, anyway. Well, that's good. That's good. Annie, what are your thoughts on cure? I hate it because I have, you know, having triple negative breast cancer is a particularly aggressive type of breast cancer, and um, it's the type of breast cancer that can relapse. I took the absolute most aggressive possible route um, to prevent it from coming back, and hopefully, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I wish I had a crystal ball to tell me, but... You know, I hate I hate cure because even if you're cured, you know, look what happened to Robin Roberts. Her right. treatment gave her a secondary cancer, right. which when I was starting radiation was when she came out, started coming out and talking about, you know, how this she had, you know, this disease that could cause leukemia and she had to have a transplant and it was really bad. And I was given the warnings, you know, this treatment you're getting can cause a secondary cancer later in life. And my response was, well, why don't I worry about the one that I know that I had? And then we'll deal with the potential secondary cancers later on. Right. And so you never feel okay. And I feel like for the rest of my life, I'm always going to be looking over my shoulder. If something feels weird, I'm going to go to the doctor and be, I mean, as if I wasn't a horrible hypochondriac before (laughs) having cancer, it's like times a bazillion now. So, yeah, I hate it. I, never... I, I like to say that, um, you know, while I may be disease-free, I don't feel cured. Right. right. And that that's what the new normal means, which is another phrase I despise yeah. using. Yeah. But until someone comes up with a new way to say that, that's kind of what we have to use. I sure. hate cliches, and it's one of those cliches. I hate when people say journey. Mm-hmm. Talk about my jur- Let's talk about your journey of breast cancer. I was like, ugh. I, ugh. Journey. Horrible. Awful. So we're, we're about the end of the show. I would love to just open it up to you guys to just let us know what you think. Again, the, the show is called young, All Young Adult Cancer Sucks. And, again, I, I joke that it's hard enough to be 25 years old in the universe, let alone, you know, the, the fast-paced, Internet-driven world of, you know, build your life and have a family and follow the rules and do do, do everything right. And that people juice and they run and they do all these things and they still breathe in L.A. smog in the morning and, uh, you know, that that's the best that we can do, make the most of it. Just some final thoughts from you guys. And, and, and by the way, uh, I want to hear a little bit more. I think I, I, I contributed to the book, right? I'd love to hear more about the book for our listeners to find out about it. Um, oh, uh, my book, uh, is Andrew Jenks, uh, My Adventures as a Young Filmmaker, comes out this Friday. It's available online. We're going to do a book signing, uh, Union Square, New York City, a week from today. And it's all about my various journeys from living in a nursing home to being in Japan for seven months following a very famous man um, to all of the stuff that happens in our show when filming a homeless woman or a young man with autism, obviously a young woman with um, two different types of cancer. And then the television show comes out a couple days after the book, which is March 4th, 11 o'clock, MTV we follow three very special individuals, one being uh, Kaylin Andres. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Ladies, p- final thoughts, parting terms? 
Go to Tomber first. Don't make me cue the crickets. <laughs> uh, final thoughts. Um, Matthew, you've done a great job really showing young adult cancer survivors that they can make a difference. Their voices make a difference. We must continue the self-advocacy going on out there. Cancer survivorship is getting more of play and conversation, uh, but we need to we need to make it more prolific and not accept no, no, we don't have the programs. No, we don't know what a cancer survivorship care plan is. No, the plan is only going to be your medical appointments and not what else you need to deal with with the rest of your life. It's not acceptable, and we have to keep pushing. So we are making headway, but the more we can rally around these causes and continue to educate about the need for expanding programs and expanding resources beyond the traditional um, is, is the way to go. And for the Tend to Thrive ebook, which is a totally free ebook, all the contributors gave their chapters at no cost so that we could make it available to young adult cancer survivors um, for free, is at uh, www.thrivesurvive.org backslash 10, the number 10, to thrive. I'm typing it in the, in the chat room. Thrivesurvive.org slash what? Here, I just hit it up there in the... Thrive. Oh, okay. There it's in you the go. chat room. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Spora. Um, yeah, I I I agree with everything that Tamara said um, about you know, uh, you know awareness and and, and all that. And I I want to make people aware of inflammatory breast cancer specifically, and that it it presents differently than um, other types of breast cancer, and that it doesn't usually present with a lump. I had one because I had a secondary breast cancer within the first one because, you know, why get one when you can have two? And, um, <laughs> and yeah, so I, I want to make women aware that, you know, statistically it's the rarest type of breast cancer, but I and my doctors feel that it's just that it's the most misdiagnosed because women and doctors don't know about it. So I just I want women to be aware of their bodies and and just, be their own advocates, which is what we have to do, especially at a young age, because we don't have a lot of people fighting for us. You have a bald Jew from Brooklyn fighting for you. <laughs> That's awesome. And a, no, and a no longer bald Jew from Long yeah. Island. Yeah. Today. <laughs> well, my, my hair is starting to curl again, so I'm back with my Jew fro. Nice. So, yeah. Awesome. Nico, parting thoughts, and I look forward to seeing you guys in Vegas for our, the OMG Summit again. Yeah, I, so I don't know that I would be there. I'll actually be eight months pregnant at that point. <laughs> oh, that's right. You're due. Yeah. <laughs> that, I saw your Facebook, like the, uh, we made this sonogram. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I feel very, very lucky that um, it was one of those questions. Didn't know if I could have kids after cancer. And surprise. <laughs> so Congratulations. Thank yeah. you. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm here with my, my long curly Jewish hair as well. Um, and <laughs> But I, yeah, I want to finish up by saying my, my advocacy piece is really, if you're done with treatment, get a survivorship care plan. And I think that that's something really important for people who are in treatment to start thinking, you know, don't worry about after treatment yet, but when you're done, ask your doctor for that. Um, that's something we really focus on in the ebook. It's the first chapter and um, everyone needs to, you know, just stay on top of it. And yeah, sucks. I mean, it sucks when you're going through it. It sucks afterwards, but it, it's all totally manageable, and I think that that's what I've found over the past 11 years. Well, I can't thank you guys enough for contributing to tonight's show. I thought it went very well. I, I, I believe that it serves the mission of the organization, the purpose of everything, and if we can enlighten just 
that many more people from your world, Andrew, that, that this is an issue in this country. It's not poverty. It's not hunger. It's not international. It hits home right here every single day. 800,000 Americans are young adults who've had cancer in this country. That's no small number to, to throw a stick at. And the more people understand that we can, we do get cancer, we're here, we matter, we're different, but we live and we get busy living. And, and this is our message to the universe. So thank you, Andrew. Thank you, ladies. Thank An you. amazing thank show. You. Uh, Nico Juber, uh, Tom Berlin, and uh, Sapporo Razor, thank you guys so much for thank being you. on the Cancer Show. Thank you. So we 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 uh, you're now being de-virginized as a co-host of this stupid cancer show, Andrew. I always wanted to be a um, I always wanted to be a radio host, and now I can. Now I you can, can say you that. have that. I did yeah. it. Yeah. I did it. I got through it. I feel th- I feel threatened. Have he, you, he already told me. Right, got, one last got, question got, for you, then. do it next week. Have you, has, has interacting with people with life-altering diseases and challenges impacted your own sense of mortality? Um, like, are you afraid your kid's going to have autism when you have one, or that you're going to get cancer now, or, you know, that? I would say that no one's ever asked me that. I think the one thing that... It has made me more aware of is when someone has a kid, and I now kind of I think my first question is oh is 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 the kid healthy right is the newborn healthy uh because of a lot of different reasons, but you know one being that uh Kaylin, uh you know was was i think twenty i'm gonna get you know she was in her early twenties right and uh Chad, who's the young man with autism, obviously had it since he was born and right. so I think in that sense I, I certainly um I certainly think about think about it in that sense. Well, I hope you've enjoyed yourself tonight. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. We, an and awesome we are show. so excited the and World of Jinx premieres when again? Mar- a week from today, March fourth, eleven o'clock. Um and yeah, Caitlin is an absolute superstar, so I hope people tune in. And set your D V Rs. That's true. Yeah. Cause, yeah, because I'm I'm usually way asleep on old man. <laughs> by eleven o'clock. Yeah. But you are, but you're like a, you know, you're an MTV view, viewer. You're I am like an MTV 18 viewer. years old. You have the six pack. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. It's the uh, the uh, the Halloween costume that I wear every day. I wish we had HD for the for this, and all we have is sound. That's okay. Well, you'll find us in rich donors, and we'll get it on TV soon. There we go. Okay. There we go. Great. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you, Andrew Jenks. Thank you, Andy Goodman. Thank you, everybody. It's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that is tonight's show, our 256th. Count on 256 broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. I'd like to thank our guests, the lovely, gorgeous, talented, effluvian, mellifluous, and fantastic Andrew Jenks. I just made all those words up, but they're real words. <laughs> uh, Christy Norwood, Tom Relaine, Nico Juber, Sephora Razor, Matt Beckett, Sarah Kotnoff, and Annie Goodman. And on next week's show, join us next Monday as we welcome Karen Shane, founder executive director for the National Women's Survivor Convention, a national effort to promote cancer survivorship in women. And joining Karen will be Gerilyn Lucas, author of 
why I wore lipstick to my mastectomy. And the Survivor Spotlight is on Amber Vance. All right, if you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.org or check out all of the archives at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Kenny Kane, Andy Goodwin, myself, and our whole team here at Stupid Cancer and the Stupid Cancer Show, have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday live at 8 p.m. Good night, folks. Good night. In this world, too many soldiers are serving multiple tours, so...